welcome to the simplicity of happiness when more is too much. This podcast offers tips and techniques for a better life. And before we start with another episode of the Simplicity of Happiness podcast, I would like to remind you that you can find out all about me and my thoughts on simplicityofhappiness.com as well as Patreon, where I am providing extra content for all of you who support me and the education of children in Africa. And now relax and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back again after quite a while for a new episode of the Simplicity of Happiness podcast. Today, talking about the success factor. And I am curious to find out, uh, Ruth Gautian, welcome to the welcome to the show. Did I say Thank your last you. name correct? You did. You did. Thank you. <laughs> Because I, I called you only Ruth so far, and then I had to think, well, because the German expression is Gutian. So I was like, okay, no, that I can't make it too German. <laughs> and but that but then you know what it means then. No. Gut and Jan. Good person. Huh. <laughs> well, I did I did not. So <laughs> about a minute into the recording and already. Um, something, something learned for today. Well, Ruth, I am curious to find out what you think is the success factor. It's actually not what I think. It's what I know because <laughs> I have researched and interviewed extreme high achievers. The Nobel Prize winners and astronauts and Olympic champions to figure out what has made them so successful. And I realized that a Nobel Prize winning scientist is just like an Olympic gold medal figure skater. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, that means that these are learnable skills, which means that I'm an adult educator, I can teach it. And one of the ways that I teach it, one of many ways is I talk about it I write about it. I wrote a book about it. And there's actually four elements to the success factor. And if you want, I am happy to talk about those four elements. Well, if that means that I am, uh, I will be an Olympian and an astronaut and a Nobel Prize winner, please go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first thing is you cannot be a Nobel Prize winning scientist or an astronaut or an Olympic champion unless you love whatever it is that you are doing so much that it's all you can think about. It's the reason you wake up in the morning and it's why you can't quiet your mind at night because you're thinking about things and you're replaying it in your mind because you love it so much. This is what you were put on this earth to do. It's not something you have to do. It's something you want to do. There's a burning fire from within. And this is where we talk about intrinsic motivation, which means you are intrinsically motivated to do something. It comes from within. No one is forcing you to do it. And this is very different from extrinsic motivation, which are the people who are fueled by promotions or prizes or diplomas or awards and certificates. Those are the people who either fail out or burn out because they are doing these things really for other people's judgment of them. 
And that just is not sustainable. And that's why they fail out of burnout. So the first element is find your intrinsic motivation, Mm -hmm. find your passion, and then you start doing a deep dive into it. And that deep dive is the second element. When you love something so much, you are going to work harder and smarter than anyone else because there is something you want to achieve. There's an answer you want to find out. There's that burning question in inside of you. There's um, something that you want to really get better at. So it's really about working harder and you have that strong work ethic and the resilience and the grit and the tenacity mm-hmm. and all those sexy terms that we hear about. But no one tells you when you're a high achiever that you need to have resilience. That actually comes from within because you're fueled by that first element, that passion. Mm-hmm. And then the third one, the third element, is that these extreme high achievers have a very strong foundation, which they are constantly reinforcing. So what they did early on in their career is the same thing that they do later in their career. So one of the people who I spoke with is a a three-time Olympian gold medal volleyball player. And he said in volleyball, the most important thing is ball control. And he was telling me about this drill that they do called pepper that they do right before the Olympics to really warm up and get that ball control. He said, it's the same drill he did when he was seven years old in his backyard. Same thing. It doesn't change. What happens is that as you start getting better and better, you'll have fancier equipment and better sneakers, but the drills and the foundation is exactly the same. So you have to constantly reinforce that. You can never say, I'm so good. I don't need to do this anymore. I don't know of a single Nobel prize winning scientist who quit doing science just because they won the Nobel Prize. If anything, they ramped it up. So that's the third one. And the last one, none of them are so successful that they will say, I don't need to learn anymore. In fact, the more successful they become, the more they open themselves up to learning new things because they realize that they don't have all the answers. So while it's not conceivable for adults to sit in a classroom all day, there are other ways that we can learn. We can read articles, read blogs, read books, listen to podcasts such as this one. Hopefully I'm sharing some good stuff, YouTube videos, and also talking to people. And this is the other thing is that all of the extreme high achievers didn't just talk to people. They also had a team of mentors around them who supported Mm -hmm. them and guided them and cheered them on and really helped them develop their career. So those are the four elements that I talk about in the success factor. Well, I have some questions right right away. Um, The first was finding um, your passion. What if my passions are kids, for example. Mm -hmm. Maybe I just, I just want to be there for my, for my kids. I want to be the best, the best daddy. Um, And then, well, I need to do some, some things to, well, pay the bills. But my passions, if, if my passion are only my, my kids or my cats. I have a couple of mentors actually that love cats. So everything is around cats, but they have some other passions. That's why they be what they did what they did. But what if 
the cats or the kids are the only passion? Would you say they are on a path to success? Well, let me ask you this. What happens when your kids get older and they move out of the house? What are you going to do then? Or when the cats are no longer alive, what are you going to do then? Well, with the cats, that's easy. You can buy new cats. Mm -hmm. um, with the kids, maybe they turn to cats. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I think that's great. But this, if you're going to, you want to be a, a great parent, by all means, you should. Mm -hmm. And and frankly, I'm hoping everybody has that kind of passion to be great parents. Mm -hmm. And that's a fabulous way to leave a mark on your family and raise the next generation of really good people and have an impact. But if you're also thinking of a way that you're going to make a living, mm -hmm. you need to find something that you are passionate about. And you could be passionate about more than one thing, obviously, but there's one that's also going to pay the bills and there's one that's not. Yeah. And um, so do you think that one to be what? successful you have to um to find a passion that you can also well make money of well somehow you have to keep a roof over your head right you yeah. want to live indoors and have plumbing um and and you can either just go to work and that's fine for a lot of people but a lot of people want to do something where they're able to really have this enormous impact on the world and really do these great things And that's why finding that passion mm -hmm. is so important. And I share, you know, the astronauts up until recently, <laughs> were all government workers. They work for the government. Government workers don't get all that much, right? Mm -hmm. So they were doing it because going to space and studying there was something they had to do. They didn't just want to do it. It wasn't about the money. There was enough money there that they can obviously live. But this was something they were so interested in. And when I'm not sure about my passion, so if I have, well, a couple of things that I like doing, mm -hmm. but um, all the jobs that are presented to me are something that is well just for the money. Mm -hmm. how, do, how do you, what, what do you suggest for somebody who's not born with a passion? Oh, everybody has a passion. You just haven't found it yet. One of the ways you can figure out your passion, and it's, I actually take people through a passion audit. And it's something that I talk about in the book, The Success Factor. It's also on my website if anybody wants to download it. But it's really identifying what you're good at, mm -hmm. but recognizing that just because you're good at something doesn't mean you enjoy doing it. There's a difference. Oh, yes. I could be good <laughs> at doing a lot of things, but some of those things will actually deplete me. So what are you good at? What are you good at, but you don't enjoy doing? What do you not enjoy doing? Where do you procrastinate, right? Identifying all of those things. And then what would you do for free if you could? And when you're procrastinating, what are you doing instead? Where do you volunteer your time? How are you spending your time away from work? That'll give you clues as to what your passion is. Mm -hmm. So as I said, it is a passion audit. And if any of your listeners want to download it, it obviously comes with the book, but it's um, the passion audit can also be found on my website at ruthgotian.com slash passion audit. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll put it in the show links. So um, well, if you are 
driving right now. Maybe you just stop later and uh, click on the link. Um, yeah, I'm still, well, I, I can relate to that um, because I have strong feelings and strong emotions for things. So I know what I'm enjoying and um, um, I, I have that feeling of passion. But every once in a while, um, especially during my, my time um, as a career consultant for, uh, for one of the, the leading business schools, there were people going to the business school because they, they had to or they were expected to do that. And yeah. they had a very good education from early childhood on. And they knew a lot of things and they were quite good at a couple of things. And there were a few things they, well, they liked, they enjoyed, but they couldn't put their finger on the passion. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering, same issue. could it be, could it be that there are some people, well, who are, well, if I talk for myself, having a passion can also be um, frustrating at, at, at times because if you have a real passion for something and it doesn't it doesn't work out or you don't achieve that, you can well, you can fall into um, you can fall into an, an emotional ditch. Um, and um, if if some people maybe they don't they don't want that, so they just want to be just just be off, be, uh, um, just um, above mediocrity for all of their life. And do you think they should find something that they have a passion or do you think some people are meant for that and some others are not? I don't know. You really want to go through life being mediocre? I don't know that that's very satisfying. You know, it's interesting. I, I got my doctorate later in life. I was 43 when I started. And there were a lot of other people who worked full time while mm -hmm. um, while getting their doctorate. And I remember one of the last classes that we took, the professor said, she asked everyone in the class, why are you doing this? It's so much work. It's so isolating. You're already mm -hmm. working full time. You have families. Why are you adding this to your plate? And we went around the room giving our answers. And I remember the responses as if it was yesterday. As people gave their response, I want a promotion. I think this will help. I've been overlooked. I think this doctorate will help. I'm thinking about the next stage of my career. I think the doctorate will help. I have this question I've been thinking about for so mm -hmm. long. I can't get it out of my head. I really need to study it. I've been seeing this issue that everyone seems to overlook. I want to understand why everyone's overlooking it. And I remember thinking of these discussions and those that had that question, that desire. I've been thinking about a question for a long time. I've been observing something and I want to understand it. Those are the people that had the intrinsic motivation. The people who were doing it for the promotion, the recognition, the next stage of their career, that was extrinsic motivation. And guess what? To this day, years later, they still haven't finished their degree, still. Because you remember I said, you can't continue. That fire will burn out if the only reason you're doing it is for extrinsic reasons. Yeah. But the other people who were doing it for the question from within, they were intrinsically motivated and they finished and they finished in record time. 
Which brings me to another thought I, I, I um, just had about the extrinsic motivation. Um, when you talked about um, the Olympic gold medalists, I had I was thinking of a couple of soccer players who are who are really good. Do you know Do you know any soccer players? It's been a long time, but no, I haven't interviewed any yeah. of them. But I'm looking for um, some professional ones. Yeah, and um, well, there's there's one I have in mind very specifically. It's a Portuguese guy, um, and he is seen as one of the best soccer players um, out there. And he is such a show person. He really sometimes it looks like he is playing for for the external motivation. So he just doesn't turn around. He's he's making a show out of everything, mm -hmm. and um, and and in a lot of cases, the best of all of them, they seem to have also an extrinsic motivation. Look at Elon Musk. I think well, you can think of him personally, whatever you whatever you like, but he is going very straightforward his own success path, mm -hmm. and he does that. It looks like he needs the external motivation as well and it doesn't take them down so do you think I, it's an add-on it, it might be an add-on but they're fueled by the intrinsic motivation mm -hmm. that is what fuels them that's what is able to get them through those hurdles through those tough times because otherwise if you have so many hurdles there's so many hurdles on the way to success and if you're only fueled by extrinsic motivation you're going to give up at some point and if you think about the olympians Right. Some of them, they got their gold medal at 16 and then they crashed and burned. Right. And, yeah. and they're all over the tabloids. But then there's so many who flourished after that. And I interviewed those who flourished and I asked them, I always ask Olympians, I said, where do you keep your medal? Only two of them had it on display. Everyone else, it's in a safe, it's in a box under the bed, it's in a brown paper bag in the sock drawer or the nightstand. And the reason is because they tell me that the Olympics were a chapter in their lives. It's not the entire story. Yeah. It was a goal, not the ultimate goal. There is more to them than that. So they were doing it. There was an intrinsic motivator and then they were continuing down that path. Mm -hmm. When you when you started your studies, how did you define a successful person? And that was two other phases of my research. And as my dissertation committee told me, you did two additional dissertations in addition to the regular one. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of work to define it. But what I can tell you to mm -hmm. summarize it quickly is that the definition of success differs based on who you ask. There are um, differences in the definition based on gender and based on rank. Mm -hmm. And success is a moving target. So what your goal is today may not be your goal five years from now, and it likely was not your goal five years ago, right? So for me, for example, if you would have told me two years ago that I'd be writing the book, The Success Factor, I would have said, you're crazy. But now that it's written, I'm really excited. And not only it's written, that was the goal then. Now the goal is to have it make an impact and be read by a lot of people because I really think it can have the impact. 
I don't know if that was my goal when I first got the book deal. The so original is, goal was get it done. Now you want it to do really well. So how did you distinguish between who to interview and who not? So there were, I looked at what success means. So success overall, you have to create a paradigm shift in your field, move that needle in some mm -hmm. way. But also as you achieved something great, the greatest people are also giving back in some way. And they're either giving back by helping one person at a time, or they've developed big programs and communities to help people at scale. Either way, it's no longer an individual act. They are paying it forward in some way. So it's became more than them. Obviously, they have a clean record and all of that. So I, I had to do a, a, um, some searches on people. But that was really part of the big story is that they created this paradigm shift. They moved the needle of what is known in their field and they're giving back. And giving did back you, is a huge part of it. Did you ever um, want to interview somebody and then you found out that that person looks successful but is not successful? Yeah, there are a few people. They didn't make it in the book. <laughs> um, there's over 60 people who are profiled in the book. I've obviously interviewed a lot more than that. And there are certain people that on paper are successful. But I didn't find that they definitely created a paradigm shift, but I didn't find that they were paying it forward in some way. Um, also, some of them, um, the, the high achievers who I've spoken to who have really achieved success, they embraced their achievement, but they were really quite humble about it. And I think that made a big difference as well. And did you ever talk to a person who was successful to all these standards that you just mentioned, um, but, well, didn't have that passion and the dream from an early age on? So that, for example, they went 20 years in one direction and then they found something and they shifted? Yes, there's uh, actually several of them that have done that. And I think that's perfectly normal because I think as you go through some transitions in mm. life, you will you will have that shift and find those new passions. So one of the people who I interviewed was Ben Nelson, who was the former CEO of Snapfish. And then he actually created his own college, his own university that doesn't have a campus. It's called the Moderna Project. It doesn't have a campus and he basically completely reimagined what higher education would look like. That's somebody, and he did that much, much later in life. I mean, he was CEO of Snapfish, which is a big company. Mm -hmm. So um, that happened later in life. And there are a lot of examples of people who did exactly that. So if I'm, if I'm now listening to this and I am well not unsuccessful with everything I do. And I have the feeling that there should be or may be more for me. Mm. Where should I start? Ah, so that's a great question. With the four elements of success, you must do all four and you must do all four together. 
But the key is there's one that you have to start with and you have to start with the first one, which is the passion audit. Figure out what your passion is. Because if you figure that out and get crystal clear on that, everything else will fall into place. I'm not going to have to ask you to work harder. I'm not going to have to ask you to practice the piano, right? You've seen that. When people love to play the piano, you do not need to ask them to practice. It is a joy for them. It's Mm -hmm. the same thing. Once you find out what it is you love doing, you're going to work at it. You're going to want to learn everything you can about it. Second one was the deep work deep. ethic. The work ethic. Mm-hmm. Right. Can you give me an example of a shift in the work ethic? So work ethic means um, you are really going to practice and work hard at something that you want to do because there's a question that you can't let go. Mm-hmm. There's um, one of the um, uh, Nobel Prize winners who I spoke to, Dr. Mike Brown. He shared the Nobel Prize with Joe Goldstein, who's been his collaborator for decades. They actually started very young during the Vietnam War. They worked at the National Institutes of Health Mm. in two separate divisions. And uh, Joe Goldstein had a patient. And these were kids with really, really high cholesterol. How do six-year-olds get high cholesterol? And they started investigating the the question and they tried all of these things and nothing worked. And then they decided they were definitely, this is what they were going to investigate. They were going to pour all of their time into this question because six-year-olds should not have high cholesterol. And it was two siblings. So they knew it was hereditary. It was genetic. Joe Goldstein already had a faculty appointment at a university at UT Southwestern, University of Texas Southwestern. And Mike Brown, who I interviewed, is from New York. And he moved to Texas, where he really didn't want to be. He moved to Texas to continue doing this project. And they've committed their entire careers to finding out the answer to this question. They worked so hard at it. They obviously found it later and and got the Nobel Prize. But he was so committed that he moved from New York to Texas, where he's never been to, in order to investigate this question. Which brings me to one uh, one question that's not that directly related to the success. Did you did you talk to a successful person where you thought that they are not happy? I didn't. Um, I actually looked to see if they were happy. And yeah, they had bad days for sure. But overall, they were really happy with the work and they really happy with the impact they were having and really happy with the creativity that they were able to get through this. And they said that they had really, really tough times with this. I spoke to Dr. Charlie Camarda, who is the astronaut who went up on the Columbia, uh, right after the Columbia disaster, excuse me, Mm -hmm. and talk about nerve wracking. Mm -hmm. And he had a little girl, he had a daughter. And he was not convinced that what caused the problem in the Columbia disaster was fixed. And, you know, he was working on the side to get it all done and took the technology with him up to space. He was scared. He was terrified. But he was so passionate about trying it. 
and he did it. And I think there were bouts where he was worried and scared and, and unhappy, but overall he was thrilled. And when I asked him, I said, so how was it to be up for two weeks? He said, it wasn't long enough. <laughs> he said, I wish I could have been longer. Yeah. And every, and, you know, I spoke to Nicole Stott, who's another astronaut. She went on two missions, one for three, three months, one for two weeks. And she said she wishes the two weeks could have been longer. And the third point is the. That's the strong foundation, which you are constantly mm. reinforcing. So whatever worked for you early in your career, you're going to continue yeah. doing it later in the career. So Neil Katyal is a lawyer and he argued 45 cases before the United States Supreme Court, which is our highest court. Most lawyers won't ever get to do one in their life. He's done 45. And I asked him, how do you prepare? And he said, well, he does moot courts. Moot is like a, a, a practice court session. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he said for his first case, he did 15 of them, one five. He said, now he does about five of them. He's still doing it. It's not that he's mm. ever given up doing it, but he doesn't say, ah, it's my 45th case. I don't need to do it anymore. He's still doing it. And then he says he prepares a binder with every question he could possibly be asked. And then he prepares the responses to each of those questions. And he brings that binder with him to the courtroom. He said he did that for the first case and he does that on the 45th case. He said he's never opened the binder, but preparing that binder prepared him to argue the case. And then the night before mm. the case, the opening arguments, he goes into his kid's room and he explains the case to them in a language they can understand. He did that in the first case. He did that in the 45th case. He does the same practices. Now, again, he may not need to do as many mm -hmm. of those practice sessions, but he still does it. He doesn't say, I've done 45. I don't need to do this anymore. He yeah. still does it. He still practices. Well, that's and like if you're an elite swimmer and then you say, no, I can't swim. I don't have to practice anymore. <laughs> and then I don't need to more. practice. I don't need to warm up. Exactly. You would yeah. never, ever do that. So it's exactly the same. Yeah. And the last one, keep learning, um, seems, yes. seems so obvious to me. Do you have example of people who were on a successful path and then they decided to stop learning? They, they wouldn't because this is how they achieve greatness. They realize that they don't have all the answers and they're willing to actually learn from people who are more junior to them as well. So it's really about people who are senior to them at their level and junior to them. They're willing to take guidance from people outside of the industry. Apollo Ono, who I mentioned, he's the most decorated winter Olympian. Mm -hmm. He has eight Olympic medals. I talked to him as if he was a colleague. He's a short track speed skater. But we were talking about adult learning and leadership development and positive psychology. And he knew that information so well, because he said, I had plenty of coaches to teach me everything I need to do on the ice. What I needed help was with was what I do off the ice, how I'm thinking, how I'm eating, how I'm sleeping, how, you know, my mindset is correct. So he had a lot of people helping him with that, but he also fed himself knowledge. We were reading the same books. I have a doctorate in this. He was doing it because he wanted to get better, mm -hmm. right? So it was just a perfect example. And I, I really got to talk to him like a colleague, which was fun. 
sounds like it. And um, if somebody's listening and has the feeling, well, I'm I'm on a good I'm on a good path. Well, I have that passion. Um, <clears throat> I'm I'm willing to go deep. Um, I'm to put it in, in other words, I do my daily practices. I, mm -hmm. And I keep learning and I keep yeah. exploring. Yeah. Um, but they doubt what they are doing sometimes yeah. because they somehow they learn that they should do something else or something else is yeah. expected from them. Yep. What is your like one recommendation for them? Get a mentor quickly. And not just one mentor, get a team of mentors. Because a mentor is your guide by your side. And a mentor really has two roles. One is to help you with your career, but the other is the psychosocial support. And all of the high achievers had a team of mentors because there are more bad days than good days on the road to success. And you need someone there to oh, be your oh, cheerleader. Hold, hold on there. <laughs> Ed, I want to make really clear to all the listeners what you just said. You said there are more bad days than good days on the road to success. That's right. And those are isolating days, really isolating. So for everybody out there, because I, I, I know that feeling. Um, I don't know yet whether you can call me success or not, but um, at some point I didn't focus on that anymore. And maybe that's a that's a good way to go. But I know these struggles. So everybody out there who's struggling and thinks they are not worth it, although they put in so much money, uh, so much time and effort, there are more good day, bad days than good days on the road to success. And get a Absolutely. mentor to help you through that. Absolutely. And everyone had it from a Nobel Prize winner on down. And they said they never would have gotten through it without their mentors, because what happens when you're having those bad days, when things don't work out or you don't have a good practice or whatever it is, you are so deep inside the jar, you can't read the label. You don't have perspective mm. because you feel like you're drowning and you need someone to be able to offer you that perspective. And who that's what your, a mentor can do. Who are your mentors? Oh, I've got a lot of them. I have mentors who are physicians, scientists, educators, business people, lawyers, yeah. military, and like, I call on them for different things. Who are the two you call when you have a bad day? Um, I have several. There's some people who I work with, but there's also Dr. Marie Volpe, who was my doctoral dissertation advisor, mm -hmm. brilliant writer. She very quickly helps me put things into perspective. And the other is Dr. Bert Shapiro, who has that strategic big vision. And he really, really helped me, helped me see 25 steps ahead. And who do you mentor? Oh, I've got a long list, a long <laughs> list, <laughs> because it's something that I, I love doing. So there's a very long list of people that I've been doing it for years, some which I published with, some who I talk to regularly, and I find that helpful. Well, I think there is a very well good note uh, to, to end this conversation because um, um, it ended on something quite quite personal and 
quite doable. And what I like about it, it puts the well, dark side of success into perspective. And um, everything comes comes with a price. Yeah. And um, and that was some very good advice to well how how to go through that. And I think the well the more engaged you are, the smarter you are, the more doubts there can occur yeah. on the horizon. And you don't have to go through that on your own. Well, Ruth, thank you so much for that conversation. I will put the um, your links in the, in the show notes. Um, for everybody who is not checking the, the show notes right away, your book is available already or will it come out soon? It's coming out in January. It's available on pre-sale wherever you buy books all over the world. And it's called The Success Factor. And when you get it, you'll also get the links to um, the goal audit, the passion audit, and how to develop your mentoring team. There's a lot, a lot of good stuff in there. I put my heart and soul into The Success Factor. Well, then thank you. Thank you for that delightful.